following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So the first thing that anybody ever asks me when I tell them that I'm a pastor is, well, they ask, which church are you a pastor at? And then I tell them, Artisan Church. And the first question that they always have is, why is it called Artisan Church? And because I have answered this question many times, and because I don't particularly enjoy repeating myself, and because I do sort of enjoy being difficult, I usually respond by asking them a question, which is, what do you think it means? And when I ask that question, um, almost always people will say, "Mm, I don't know, do you have a lot of artists at your church? And uh, I say, yes, that's definitely part of it. And that's kind of like the... uh, the trigger for me to be able to have the conversation, because I, the truth is I don't, uh, at least not yet, I haven't quite gotten sick of talking to people about this particular point, uh, even though it's the same kind of story most of the time. But this is where I begin. I say, yes, we do have artists in our community. But the first meaning for us of artisan in artisan church is not about us. It's not about the artists that may be here. It's actually about God. First and foremost, we chose the name artisan because God is the master artisan. The very first sentence in the Bible tells us this. If you open your Bible to page one, the first verse in the Bible describes God as a maker, a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is how it's most commonly translated. And then it goes on to talk about all the things that he made. Everything, including us. And when it gets to the part about where he makes us, humankind, it says something that's quite remarkable, which is that he made us, when he did, in his image. So this means that every person ever born, regardless of what they look like, what they do, where they're from, who they love, whether they're an Olympic high jumper or whether they never take a step on their own, whether they're male or female, black or white, Christian, Muslim, atheist, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're nice or mean, everyone is made in God's image. And this is the great theological leveling of the playing field. From page one of the Bible... We are all equal in that way. This idea of being made in the image of God is such an important topic in theological circles that it, it goes by a Latin name. Right? Now, you know something's really important to nerdy theologians when they say it in Latin. Right? The Latin for this is imago dei, image of the deity. Very simple. Now, what exactly it means has been the subject of a room full of books. But one thing that we believe that it means, and which is particularly important for the conversation at hand, is that we are all artisans, with a small a. God is the master artisan, the capital A artisan, if you will, but all of us are little artisans. Because we are made in the image and likeness of a God who is a maker... We are also makers. 
Now, not in the same way, precisely, but there is something in each of us that calls us to build or to make or create. And uh, usually when I start going on and on about this, as I am uh, very fond of doing, somebody will say to me, well, I'm not an artist. I, I, don't, I don't do that. You should see me draw. It's terrible. Right? And I say, that's not the point. <laughs> Even people who uh, don't uh, identify themselves as artists by profession or by level of skill <laughs> still have some spark in them that makes them want to, to produce something. So this aspect of the Imago Dei, the idea of being made in the image of a God who's a maker, can be expressed in a lot of different ways. It's not just about fine art. Some of you are fine artists, and that's wonderful. But it, it could be construction, or music, or architecture, or gardening, or mopping, or coding, or surgery, or dance, or graphic design, or baking, or any number of things. All of these tasks and many, many others involve making order out of chaos, involve making something out of nothing. They are a form of creation. They are a way of expressing the imago dei within us. But the expression of the imago dei in us can and should be deeper than that. It should be about bringing the true beauty of the gospel to the world around us. We've been talking since Easter Sunday for four weeks now about how God's message, His good news, the glad tidings, how this is truly beautiful. So bearing the Imago Dei, the image of the God who makes the world beautiful in the gospel, can and should be about proclaiming to the accused that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn, but to save. Bearing the Imago Dei can and should be about living out the message that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, became a little sheep and bore the wrath of the world's great sins of oppression and judgment and violence and responded not with oppression and judgment and violence of His own, but with love and forgiveness. Bearing the Imago Dei can and should mean bringing the beautiful gospel, this great triumphant message of God's victory into the world. And in so doing, making beautiful things out of the dust. And we sing that song about God, but in some ways it ought to apply to us as well. Because we are artists of the gospel. So at Artisan, um, we return often to one key verse that encapsulates all of this that I've been talking about. It's Ephesians 2.10, and uh, I will put it on the screen here for you. And uh, we typically use the NRSV translation of the Bible, if you're interested in this kind of nerdy inside baseball stuff. In this case, uh, the NIV's translation to me is a better, it, it captures the meaning better and in a way that it communicates it better. Uh, it says this, For we are God's handiwork. Now the Greek word there is poema. We get the word poem from it. Um, you could call it handiwork. You could call it uh, workmanship. You could say masterpiece. God's artwork. 
We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, this is a uh, communal statement of who we are. There's a we in there. And so uh, I don't do this often, um, but I want to ask you to read this verse out loud together with me. I'm going to read it again. Can we do this? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That verse is central to our understanding of who we are, uh, not just here at Artisan, but as human beings. Notice that it says two things. The first, things, the first thing it says is that we are the good work of God. And the second thing is, because of that, we are to make good works of our own. Do you see that idea of bearing God's image and carrying the beauty of the gospel out? Artists of the gospel. Now maybe again, you don't feel artistic and that moniker, artist of the gospel, doesn't feel right to you. It seems ill-fitting, but... Whatever it is that gives you that spark of making or building or creating, whatever it is in you, use that word instead. So maybe you're not an artist of the gospel. Maybe you're a, a, a carpenter of the gospel, a craftsman of the gar- uh, gospel. Maybe you're a baker of the gospel or a gardener of the gospel. You get the point. We are all artists of the gospel in some way. What Ephesians 2.10 says, essentially, is that we are called to co-create alongside God. And that's a really huge idea. That's a big deal. But actually, it goes even deeper than that. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Jesus as both the shepherd and the sheep? He's the good shepherd, but he also becomes the, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God. The idea is there that, that God, the divine, becomes human, identifies with us in our humanity. That's the part about Jesus being a sheep. But the, the, the amazing benefit of that, if you will, and that's not even a great word to use. Benefit sounds like, you know, uh, a payout you get for something, you know. The great gift of that fact that Jesus identifies with us is that through that we get to identify with God. We have this divine nature. That's, that's a really uh, kind of mind-blowing thing to, to think about. There are some pretty poignant passages in the Bible about this idea. If you blink, you'd miss them or you'd attribute them to some other theological construct that, that doesn't quite carry the, the beauty in its fullness. Romans 8.17, for example, says this, We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. Now think about what that means. What does it mean to receive an inheritance? <clears throat> In the ancient world, uh, the inheritance was passed down through the sons, not the daughters. Um, The firstborn son got the big share, and the secondborn son got less, and so on and so forth down the line. There was no joint heir situation in the ancient world. 
So that's an absurdity on the face of it. But to then say that we are not only joint heirs like with a, with a sibling, an older sibling, who's supposed to be higher than us, but to say that we're joint heirs with Christ? If that wasn't in the Bible and I said something like that, <laughs> I could get in trouble. You can't put yourself on par with Jesus Christ. And yet that is exactly what the text seems to be saying we're supposed to do. We read 2 Peter uh, 1, 3, and 4 at the call to worship earlier this morning. And uh, verse 4 says that we are participants of the divine nature. Again, if you blink, you would miss it. But if you stop and think about what it might mean to be a participant in the divine nature, that is pretty heady stuff. And what I'd like to do is slow down a little bit. Let's tap the brakes on this point. Because the, the, the whole little passage there, verses 3 and 4, is very beautiful and very deep. And so what I want to do is uh, read this to you. You can look it up and follow along with your eyes if you wish. However, what I would encourage you to do instead is um, close your eyes, if you're comfortable, and listen to these words. I'm going to read it fairly slowly, phrase by phrase, because it is so rich and so full, and so incomprehensibly beautiful that we kind of need to slow down into this turn, okay? Here's what Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 say. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus, He has given us, through these things, His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. I think it's impossible to comprehend all of that with one pass. And so I'm going to read it again, just as slowly. Soak in these words and hear them and feel them in your soul. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus, He has given us, through these things, His precious and very great promises so that, through them, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. What a mind-boggling idea to be participants of the divine nature. So when I say that we are artists of the gospel, what I mean is that we have the capacity to make the world around us beautiful because the gospel has been made beautiful and real in us. 
And I think that is one little sliver of what it might mean to be a participant in the divine nature. I feel like we could uh, have spent the entire time allotted to the sermon just reading and rereading that passage and trying to take it in one word at a time, and we would probably gain some new richness with each reading. As I was thinking about all these things this week, it suddenly dawned on me that a sermon might not be the best medium for this particular message. It dawned on me that this particular message might need sort of inherently an art form to uh, communicate it. Now, I do think of sermons uh, as a form of art in some ways. On my best day, uh, a couple times a year, I might get to that bar. But um, even the best sermon can sometimes get a little uh, luxury, right? And this beautiful message about how we are to be messengers of beauty, artists of the gospel, seemed like it might better be told uh, in song. And so I actually set out to write a song along these lines. And I used Ephesians 2.10 and 2 Peter 1.3 and 4 as a starting point, as inspiration texts, and I, I was able to successfully write a song um, here. And so I, I want to uh, sing it for you now. Actually, what I want to do is uh, ask you to sing it um, along with me. And uh, Josiah, actually, can you take it off the screen for a second? Because what I want to do is um, <coughs> teach it to you so that you can get it... Um, uh, the chorus of it by rote a little bit because I think it's easier to internalize that way. Um, now, I wrote this in hopes that it would be easy enough to, for us to sing together because it's really not a song about me. It's a song about us, even though some of the words are I. Even the I parts really could be assumed to be we parts, if you will. Um, so I'm going to... Turn this one off. There we go. And I'm going to teach you this song, uh, and I hope that you will be able to sing along with it. And um, with that, I will conclude this sermon, and we'll conclude this whole series, um, Beautiful Gospel, with this song called Artists of the Gospel. So here's how the chorus goes, okay? It says, we are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We were created to do good. We are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We were created to do good. And the same melody says, made in the image of the very best maker, we were created to make good. And uh, if you catch that, you can sing it along with me. Made in the image of the very best maker, we were created to make good. It's a simple little melody. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to sing the whole thing. and the, It starts with the chorus, and you can sing the chorus when you catch it. If you want to try to sing the verses, that would be okay, too. But, um, here's this, this song, Artists of the Gospel. We are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We were created to do good. Made in the image of the very best maker. We were created to make good. 
I am the pottery formed out of clammy cold clay. But I am also a potter. At least that's what you say. I I am a painting. I am a happy little tree. But you you say I'm a painter. You say I made you just like me. And so we all can sing. We are His handiwork. We are His masterpiece. We were. Created to do good, made in the image of the very best Maker. We were created to make good on all the promises that He has made. Walking the pathway that He has laid, with all the power that emptied the grave. We. Can walk in the divine way. Oh, 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 this beautiful story of endless love and grace calls me into glory. An unfamiliar place. My hands, they are all dirty. My clothes got stained somehow. But you can't make art until you make a mess. And I'm an artist of the gospel now. And so we all can sing. We are His handiwork. We are His masterpiece. We were created to do good, made in the image of the very best Maker. We were created to make good on all the promises that He has made. Walking the pathway that He has laid. With all the power that emptied the grave, we can walk in the divine way. Oh, 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 we are His handiwork. So um, that might be the only worship song that has ever had a Bob Ross reference in it. <laughs> Um, that was uh, both services kind of equal parts terrifying and and, uh, a total blessing to hear everybody singing those words together because it uh, it really is intended to be a communal song about us all Uh, and so I want to close this morning with uh, an invitation to communion I want us to take communion together and uh, so I'll read this beautiful Iona invitation This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love Him and who want to love Him more. 
So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you. It is our Lord. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. And that is my prayer for each of you, that if you want Him, you will meet Him here in this place. Uh, At Artisan, our table is open to anyone who seeks to follow Jesus. And yet, if it's more appropriate for you to observe or just to sit and think or pray, that's entirely okay too. If you'd like to receive prayer, we'll have a member of the prayer team here with you uh, to pray with you. Our table is open. Please do come. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.